in reading in, a, in your pew Bible, Acts 3, 1 through 12. Everyone ready? Peter heals a crippled beggar. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter speaks in Solomon's portico. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? So under the reading. We have been walking through a series called Looking for God. And we started with Paul talking about our own limitations in that pursuit that we just see dimly through a mirror currently. And we looked with Elisha that maybe we need eyes to see something bigger, something more than our current situation. He was stuck in an ongoing violence and conflict, and their eyes were open to throwing a feast with their enemies. And then we looked at how even just a glimpse of God, even just a glimpse of that encounter can transform you. As we looked at Moses on the mountainside in Exodus. And last week we looked at how Jesus reveals the Father and is that visible model to see the unseeable. And so this week, I wanted us to be able to sit down with the question of what does going to church have to do with us looking for God? What's the role of church in the midst of that pursuit? And I think I've talked about this study before, but there's a Barna study from 2014 about church attendance. And one stat that I think should be concerning to us is that people in the age ranges of 20s to 30s, um, called millennials, said two out of 10 of them said that going to church was important. Um, so that's a strong feeling from our younger generation. And it's not just them, but that's the kind of way things are moving in society where people don't see the church as having any value. So what on earth does going to church have to do with looking for God? And, you know, it's not just millennials. Um, it used to be that regular church attendance meant going uh, once a week, sometimes even more than once a week to things at church. 
And now when they do the averages and the polling, um, people who consider themselves as regular churchgoers show up one every four to six weeks. Um, so what it is to be engaged and, and to consider yourself as a regular part of your church um, has less frequent um, arrival points. It's getting smaller and smaller. So not only are the people that think that going to church is important shrinking, but the ones who are going are saying we don't need to go as much as well. Um, and that's been a struggling point for churches everywhere. It's not just our own church's challenge of what do we do in that culture, um, but every church is struggling with this. And something I appreciate in our story from Acts today is the story starts out with the apostles on their way to the temple, and it doesn't need to explain why they're going. Though we might ask why they're going, but of course they're going. It's just an assumption. And so maybe some of us are also in this space not having thought about, well, why do I go to church? What's, what am I even doing? And there's a benefit of the habitual showing up, um, but I think there's even more than just that habit. There's more for us to gain out of coming to church than just because I do. And I think we need to understand that answer because we have to be able to talk to other people who don't think going to church is important about why, why am I even on this pursuit of God and why am I in a church? And so when we enter into our scene, uh, we're going to enter into a miracle scene, which is really going to start as a launching point for us. Usually we kind of sit in the miracle. Um, but here's how Acts 3, 1 through 5 starts. They're on their way to the temple, and a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple so that he could ask for alms from those entering. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. In case you didn't know, alms, a uh, charitable gift, some financial um, relief. And Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. So something I don't want us to overlook is we have an excluded person to start this story. They're the person on the outside of the temple who get carried to the gates. But even in like biblical Old Testament code, there were restrictions on what he was able to do. Like you couldn't be in the priesthood and have a handicap like that. Um, you were considered blemished. Um, and so you were seen as kind of other and as an outcast and kind of cast aside. At least for him, he has some people who take care of him somewhat, who gather him up and try to carry him to the temple to beg. But he's on the outside of the temple, and he's probably not the best-looking guy in town. We can infer. Um, maybe, I don't know about you, I've never seen someone who's going to ask for money who's trying to make themselves look even better. Uh, when we went to Israel and Jordan, there were some people that were um, asking for money in Petra. It's got the big carvings out of the side of the mountains. And uh, the kids would come up with no shoes on, and you could also find their shoes around the corner. Um, but th there's a way in which I'm not going to show off like I have a lot of things and beg. And probably if he has to come and receive almsgiving, he needs it. We can assume uh, he's, he's in need he probably doesn't have the best robe in town. He probably doesn't have the best haircut in town. Um, he's just at the gate asking for a handout, um, asking for someone to have compassion and to be generous. And so I think that he found probably one of the perfect spots to ask for money. 
Um, you've probably encountered those spots. You leave a Tigers game and there's people asking for money right outside the gate. That's a good high traffic area. That's a good spot for almsgiving. And here's, here he is in front of the temple gates, thinking that maybe if you're going to see God, maybe you might have compassion on the way in. Um, but that's, his life is just kind of consigned to this right now. He's, just, he's resigned to having to beg and being on the outside. And he's used to not, people not giving them his full attention. Because when Peter and John actually look at him, he's used to people not looking at him. He's used to being the outcast. And so they have to say, hey, hey, look at me, because I'm actually looking at you. And he expects he's going to get some money. And his expectation is really going to take a bad turn here for a moment. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. Why are you wasting my time? You know, did you have to point out that I'm not going to get something? You could have just walked by. I have no silver or gold. And honestly, that's probably true. I mean, the disciples aren't these uh, high-income workers. They had meager existence. And they held things in common, as we read in Acts 2. The community was supporting each other, and they were giving their money to help the whole group. So they probably don't have a bunch of money to just hand out. They don't have the silver or gold. And I have to say, I struggle with being in that space because we're a downtown church. There is more people in our neighborhood with need than we have the ability to support. And that, that's pretty emotionally exhausting. You know, of, to hear someone's stories and try to help point them in directions where maybe they can get help, but not to feel like it'd be great if you had an unlimited silver and gold supply. Um, but Peter and John don't let that stop them in that moment. That it's, you don't have to have silver or gold to make a difference in this guy's life. And so what do they have? Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strong. So that hand that maybe was looking for money is used to pull him up to something unexpected, something life-changing. And normally we would stop here and just marvel at the miracle story. But again, our question, what on earth does going to church have to do with this pursuit of looking for God? And so I want us to catch what happens in the aftermath here. Here's the turning point. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. One thing to note, he, was, he had gratitude. He was thankful. He didn't go and, uh, I don't know, what would you want to do if you, for the first time, could walk? Maybe you had a leg surgery in your past and you've been rehabbing the first time you get to take that cast off. You might have in your mind where you'd want to go, but this guy goes straight into the temple. The excluded one who gets a hand of invitation immediately runs into the temple to praise God and to worship. And I think there's something instructive in that. He's going to the temple to praise God for what God already has done. Um, sometimes we put the weight of church services as that's where I get my experience of God only and I'm going to get that experience instead of the rest of the week also be out that experience of God in which I get to come to worship celebrating all that God has been doing throughout the week, throughout everyday life. And I, I think that sometimes we don't notice how little of our life these worship services are. 
Like, if you were a once-a-week attender your whole life, worship service would account for 0.6%, so not even a single percent of the entirety of your life. Uh, if we take sleep out of that, so let's say we get a good healthy eight hours of sleep every day, and we take those hours away, you'd still end up with 0.8% of your life spent in a worship service. And yet we think that that's the moment that's supposed to feed us. That's only the moment where we get to experience God. And we want to be hungry for that moment. Instead of being hungry for God in all of our existence, noticing how God is working in our life and going to celebrate and rejoice and celebrate with a community about what God is doing in our lives. How do we engage people in life if we only spend less than a percent of our life at church? a worship service. I think we've got to spend more time outside of this building, outside of this space than we're doing. Um, sometimes people are, you know, you check the box, well, I went to a worship service, I felt good for the week. But being the church is so much more than that hour of worship. And we have to have those experiences outside of the temple, where we invite people into God outside of the space, so that when we come into the space, we come with new people not just showing up here and saying, oh, I wonder if we have a guest coming in today. But Peter and John bring this guy in there with him. What I do have, and they point to God and they bring him with them. And I think that's why, you know, the breakfasts, the book groups, the pantry services, the movies, the drive-ins, all of these other things we do that sometimes people might be tempted to say, well, why do we do that? Why does that matter? Like, that's living life together. Like, those are the hours of the week in which we have a chance to be community, where we get a chance to invite people into that community, where they see what life is like as the body of Christ. So that when we get to know those people and get to be excited about what God is doing in their life, and we say, hey, why don't you come on with me to church service? And you have a relationship that you're bringing somebody alongside you into the space instead of coming into the spaces that one time a week and just hoping that you might just happen to have somebody next to you that you don't know. Um, but how do we actually make life, the other 167 hours of the week, important and where church happens? And so um, I'm struck by, by one thing. Part of the mission of being a church member, if you've been on this path for a while, is the call to invite others into that space. Because that, that, that man on that day who was unable to walk, who was transformed, he gets that moment to celebrate that. But then he gets to turn around and look for the other people that are outcasts and bring them into the temple the next day. And so sometimes we get concerned about, well, what's church doing for me when the relationship has changed and it's what can I offer back to God and to the community of the faithful? And I can't help but share, I heard an illustration from a pastor friend of mine this week, and he talked about the difference between bibs and aprons, both involved in the food process. For the bib, it's the consumer side of myself. Put things in front of me, let me stuff my face. What do I get? What do I want? And for the apron, you're getting ready to work. You're helping provide so that there is a meal. You're caring about the nutrition and the value of other people. I don't know about you, but I think when I think about little kids, I think about how picky some of the food desires are. And yet they eat the weirdest things. 
But if you're a part of that work of making the food, making that solid, mature food, you care about that so much more than you took for granted as the child just consuming it. So we're invited to put on our aprons instead of, instead of the bibs. And I, I can't help but think about, um, so there's a song that comes to mind for me. And I have an experience that shaped my feeling or, or hearing of this song. You know how that is. That, that's why you have oldies that you love is you were in a life circumstance and you heard a song and it stuck with you. Um, well, I heard a song about kind of self-centered desires and I heard it from, uh, I was dating a girl in high school and her younger sister loved the song. And there's something about being self-interested as a preteen that comes to the surface often for a lot of people. And maybe you heard of the song, it's a country song which I'm not a huge fan of, but uh, I can appreciate all music. Uh, Toby Keith's Want to Talk About Me. Here's the chorus. I want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually, but occasionally, I want to talk about me. And there's a temptation in church when that one hour of the week is the thing that I need to consume because I need to have the strength to go on for the rest of my week. When God is present in every hour of our life, Every hour is an invitation to prayer, to read God's word, to be in community with other people, and so that we are fed much more than we could get in one hour, but that we can come here and just celebrate and bring the other people from our daily life into this space to celebrate God's presence together, to be recharged in that celebration, because I don't know about you, but being around energy gets me excited. And so those crowds in the story had that experience, uh, the crowds in the story, it says, all the people saw this man walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Those people at the temple are, are amazed. Some of them won't understand it. Some of them will be inspired by it. But all of them have to deal with, what do I do with this person whose life is different? And this, this celebratory moment becomes a communal moment. It's not just about that one person. It's about what everybody experiences through them. And I can't help but think about those people in my life where I've seen that. Um, I, I have a, a friend back in Milwaukee who, um, I didn't know him in his previous life, but he was known to be pretty rough and kind of the uh, bodyguard or the bouncer. And he became like a big teddy bear. He still could tap into that when you needed him at a food pantry and you needed someone to kind of help. Uh, but he went by Bull, and he was a big guy. And he showed up every single week with his kind of basketball shorts and tank top on to service. And he exuded God's joy and God's love and compassion and his prayerfulness for everybody was just so visible. And it wasn't about what he looked like or what he wore or how much money he had or he didn't have, but he showed up celebrating what God had done in his life, and it's infectious. We had another guy, life had spiraled out of control, living under a bridge, and when life transformation happened, and 
and his life was restored and renewed and lifted up, uh, he shared us with us his gifts. Uh, he actually played an instrument in the worship team. Um, you might show up and you're like, who's this guy with short shorts and a beanie? Well, let me tell you about him. His life was under a bridge, and he's been lifted up, and he's rejoicing in God's temple. And all of the things about what you have and what you don't have fade away into the celebration of what God has done in your life. And so that hour of worship becomes an hour of celebration. And so we are all invited to get to the work of the kingdom. If God's the great physician, maybe we're the lab techs, nurses, security guards on the entrance or something. I don't know. We're, we're, we're low on this totem pole, but we are lifted up to meaningful work. We are invited to be about the restoration of the outcasts, the healing of the broken, and that is beautiful work, much more beautiful than the baby bottle. Uh, it's real good food. And so our invitation is to get to work and the rest of our week, not just here. And when we gather to worship, let's celebrate what we've seen in our week. And let's invite others back into the space of the rest of our lives, whether that's, hey, I'd love to go get some lunch with you, go get some dinner. Hey, I'd love to just go to a ball game with you. I'd love to go have breakfast. You know, wherever everyday life is for you, let's invite people into those spaces where God transforms us. Let's point to where Christ is at work in our everyday life so we can learn how to celebrate together. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we just want to remember your transforming work in our lives. Lord Jesus, his sacrifice is so much more, so much uh, greater than some of the things that I want to put my eyes to. Lord, help me to see and to look intently at where you are um, restoring all things. Lord, not just in the past, but in this current stage and in the future. Lord, help, help give our vision over to where you are continuing to do your work. And let us not just continue to share our grief, but also our joys and help us celebrate with you. And it's with that, in your name, amen.